we turn in our Bibles this morning to the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, prophet of God. We turn to the very first chapter as we see the, the beauty and the truth of God's love and care for the prophet even before he was born. We're, we're looking this winter and into the spring at the first centuries of the church, what it meant to become a Christian, how faith in Jesus Christ radically disrupted every aspect of life, job, relationships, family. It requires, being a Christian, requires distinct beliefs, distinct behaviors, it sets you apart from those around you, and highlights the differences in what you believe. In recent weeks, we've looked at Paul's warnings about using even our bodies to glorify God because we have been made in the image of God. Each person has inherent value and dignity because each of us is made by God and for the glory of God. And so listen as I read the very beginning of the book of Jeremiah. We're in chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 4 through 8. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 8. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. To deliver you, declares the Lord. Let me pray for us this morning. Father in heaven, we rejoice in the hope of Jesus, our Savior. We come to you today asking that you would speak to us with clarity through the hope of your word. Lord, where we have sinned, where we are in error, Lord, I pray that you would correct us, that you'd confront us. And Lord, that you would forgive us when we turn to you when we repent and turn from sin and ask for your forgiveness. Father, I pray that as we read your word, we would hear the hope of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, we come praying in his name. Amen. Science fiction writer Philip K. Dick's short stories have been turned into Hollywood movies. Blade Runner, Minority Report, Total Recall, but after the Supreme Court's 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, he composed a short story to highlight the difficulty of defining personhood, what makes a person. His short story was entitled, The Pre-Persons. In his fictionalized future America, the, the age at which a child could be legally aborted was pushed forward from the early months of pregnancy then into the later months of pregnancy. Then it was decided that even newborns were really just expelled fetuses. The story questions where the line should be drawn. Perhaps when a baby first smiles? When the baby reaches for her toys? Lawmakers kept moving the stopping point until it was decided to put it at the age of 12. The age where you can learn to do algebra. That's when someone had the cognitive capacity to qualify as a person. Up until that point in this fictional world, you were just a pre-person, and you could be killed if your parents didn't want you anymore. 
they could just call up the local abortion center and they'd send the van. A van that would collect their children like a dog catcher catching strays to take the child for a postpartum abortion. The van even played music like an ice cream truck. Listen to the first few lines of this story. Past the grove of cypress trees, Walter saw the white truck. And he knew what it was for. He thought, that's the abortion truck. Come to take some kid in for postpartum down at the abortion place. And he thought, maybe my parents called it for me. He ran and hid among the blackberries, feeling the scratching of the thorns, but thinking, it's better than having the air sucked out of your lungs. That's how they do it. They have a big room for it, for the kids nobody wants. If each human does not have inherent value and dignity, then where do we draw the line for personhood? If an unborn baby is not a person, then what about a newborn baby? What about our neighbors with disabilities? What about people who are terminally ill? What about those with mental illness? What about people who are very old? Now, maybe you think it's unfair for me to start with science fiction. So let's go to a major American university, Princeton, where the distinguished professor of bioethics, Professor Peter Singer, teaches. He's been called the world's most influential living philosopher. Or when he was hired by Princeton decades ago, critics called him the most dangerous man in the world. He argues that the life of a human organism begins at birth, but the life of a person, a being with some level of self-awareness, does not begin so early. Therefore, Professor Singer says that infanticide, the killing of a human baby, is morally justified. He says there's no logical basis for restricting a parent's choice to disabilities discovered before birth. If disabled newborns were not regarded as having a right to life until, say, you know, a week or a month after birth, it would allow parents, in consultation with their doctors, to choose on the basis of far greater knowledge of the infant's condition than, it was, than is possible before birth. When pressed on where Professor Singer would draw the line on when someone becomes a person, he admits that even the case of a three-year-old is a gray area. He argues that those who are very old and no longer contribute to society, they could, or even wonders perhaps they should, be euthanized to release the burden on the rest of us. And it would be better, he argues, to eliminate those with disabilities before birth, or even as infants. He has a utilitarian view of human worth. You are only valuable if you contribute something to society around you. As long as you do something that helps me, then I'll let you stay. Now, his view may seem extreme, but Sadly, I fear that it's actually the logical conclusion of a consistent utilitarian ethic. If people do not have inherent value, then their value is based on what they can accomplish. And he's not alone. Bioethicist John Harris agrees that nine months of development is, is much too short to create a person. 
He says a person must be capable of valuing its own existence. And before that, he calls them non-persons or potential persons. Not so far from the short stories, pre-persons. The Journal of Medical Ethics carried an article arguing for after-birth abortions. That was the language, describing the killing of a human baby because they are not persons and therefore have no moral rights to life. Tragically, the science fiction story, The Pre-Persons, captures something of our modern mindset. In the ancient world, in the Greco-Roman culture in which the first Christians were gathering in worship, it was culturally acceptable to abort a child or to kill an infant. The first Christians confronted a culture that allowed for the exposure of unwanted children, taking a newborn child to the dump and laying it out to die. Now, in some cases, somebody might come along and scoop up that child because that child has value as a slave down the road. But if you didn't want it, then you just exposed the child to the elements. A, a letter survives from 1 BC in which, a, in which a soldier writes to his pregnant wife at home. Hilarion is writing to his wife, Elise. It, he says about the, the upcoming birth of their child, if it is a boy, let it be. If it is a girl, cast it out. He displays his culture's casual attitude toward infant abandonment. But it's not that he's a heartless warrior, for later in the same letter, he can write to his wife with tender affection, how can I forget you? I beg you then not to be anxious. He's not a heartless man, he's just displaying his culture's view of children. If it's a boy, we'll keep it. If it's a girl, toss it out with the trash. But the earliest Christians responded differently. They were known to rescue children from the trash heaps. Not to be raised for slavery, but raised as sons and daughters. Because Christians understand the biblical teaching that every life has dignity and value because each one of us has been made by God. That's what what God announces to Jeremiah. In his call into the ministry of prophecy, God says to him in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, look again there with me. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God is the one who made him. God formed Jeremiah in his mother's womb, and, and even before that, I knew you. That's the biblical language of of intimate relationship, that Adam knew his wife. That's the language of, of the depth of care and love. It's not mere intellectual knowledge about Jeremiah, but a personal commitment of God to him. And he set him apart for his ministry. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God formed him 
and knew him and chose him even before he was born. God is the craftsman. He's the the potter, the the one who who forms the clay. We are made by him. We have value. Your price tag is based on the one who made you and how delicately and lovingly he formed you. God, one commentator summarizes this passage. He says, God made a personal commitment to you before you were born. And this is the language that, that flows throughout the, the Bible. If you, if you turn to the prophet who came right before Jeremiah in your Bibles, to the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 44, the, the same language of, is used to describe God's love and care for the, the people of God, for the nation of Israel. In Isaiah 44, verse 2, where, verses 1 and 2, we read, but, but now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen, this is Isaiah 44, 2. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. If you're not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. God formed you. God chose you. God loves you. The, the, the poet in Psalm 139, David, writes to us. In Psalm 139, verse 13. For I formed you... For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. God forms each one of us. God's love and care, his relationship with us, it doesn't begin at the moment you put your trust in him, but began before you were born. It it actually begins even even sooner than that. The the Apostle Paul will write to the the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He says that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. God knows you. God made you. God loves you. God cares for you. And this is rooted in what we saw last week when we turned to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. We have the the truth that God made humanity in his image. You, You can turn there. It's the first page in your Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 after God has made everything on the earth, the heavens and the earth, with his voice, he speaks into being. And then in Genesis 1.26, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You were made by God. You were made to be like God. No, not that God is just some some like giant version of you but that you were meant to be a mirror, a reflection of who he is, of his goodness, of his his holiness, of of his intellect, of his relationship. You are made by the triune God. Let us make man 
in our image, God says. You are made for a relationship with God and with one another. You are made by God to show forth his love and care for the earth. He is the king of the earth, and then he has put humanity in his place to to rule and subdue the earth, to care for the the world, to be fruitful and multiply, to have children, to fill the, the church in the hope of the gospel. So you have inherent value and dignity because you were made by God and for God's purpose. Now you might be thinking, okay, that's, that's all fine and well for your religious beliefs. But keep your personal beliefs out of politics, out of the public square. Let's not talk about what this would mean in the culture around us. The problem with that kind of thinking, which might be what you're thinking today, because it's common in our society. The problem with the thinking that that you should keep your private beliefs out of public conversation is that it's a self-defeating belief. If you're telling me I have to keep my private beliefs out of public conversation, then you too would have to keep your private beliefs out of any kind of public conversation. And so maybe you're you're smart enough to to catch on to that and so you say, no, no, what I'm saying is keep your religious beliefs, keep your God talk and your spiritual talk out of any kind of public conversation. See, but now you're excluding anyone who holds a different view about life. You're, You're saying that your irreligious metaphysical beliefs, your beliefs about what is absolutely at the core true, that your irreligious beliefs trump anyone's religious beliefs. That if a belief comes from a religious system, then you just say, we, can, we won't, it's, it's excluded. We won't talk about that. But, but then you're not actually having a conversation. You're just announcing what I believe matters more than what you believe. And so shut your mouth and do what I tell you. The problem is when we're talking about issues of life and death, it would be wrong it would be morally repugnant for us to keep our mouths shut when the lives of children are at stake. So when life and death is on the line, then every one of us should speak up. And so as a church, we feel the burden of caring for the most vulnerable. So we want to provide support to women who face unexpected pregnancies. In the back of your bulletin, you see the, the list of, of those ministries and, and missionaries that we support. Alphabetically, a door of hope comes first. It's a local crisis resource pregnancy center to provide care to women and to families, to support a woman who's, who's making the choice about the life of her child, and then to support her in her decisions made on behalf of the child. It's a ministry where you can go and find another woman who will pray with you, who will counsel you, who will walk alongside you, where you can find churches that will support you in real and practical ways with medical care, with counseling support, with diapers to help you. We want to be a church that supports birth mothers. We pray regularly in our home for a birth mother, a woman I've never met and may never meet, who made a brave decision and created an adoption plan. And so as a church, we want to come alongside birth mothers who make those incredibly brave decisions. We want to be a church committed to foster care and adoption. We want to come alongside resource parents 
who love a child unconditionally, even as they pursue reunification with a birth family. When Laura and I were first married, we were in seminary in St. Louis. And our local church, Covenant Presbyterian Church, it was filled with, with foster families, with adoptive families. I don't remember hearing a, hearing a sermon or a Sunday school class on the topic, but we just saw it everywhere. Laura at the time was teaching in an inner city school, uh, an, an alternative high school program where most of the women in her, most of her female students were there because of, of drug-related or gang-related issues, but many of them because they were mothers, either pregnant mothers or mothers with tiny children. And when we looked at our church, we thought that being pro-life meant more than caring about what someone else does with an unborn child. But it must mean that we as a church care about every child. As a church, we support the value and dignity of each person, not just those who are cognitively self-aware, not just those whom society deems as contributors, but every person has value because every person is made by God. And so this morning, if you're hurting, if you feel broken, then come and ask for help. Be brave enough to ask another person in your community group to pray with you. Find a a woman in your group who would be willing to, to walk with you through difficult and challenging decisions. Somebody who could even talk with you about maybe something that happened in the far distant past. Come and speak to an elder or a deacon to find help. Come and find your hope in God. Because the Bible shows us the beauty of life, the miracle of life. We see that in the arrival of God himself, of Jesus, as a baby. In the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, and it's, it's familiar because we read it at Christmas time, but in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we're introduced to a, a relative of Mary's, Elizabeth whose husband is a, a priest, uh, Zechariah. And, and unexpectedly, they, they are well past childbearing age. God miraculously gives them a child. And when Mary, who is pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit with the Son of God, goes to visit Elizabeth, this is what Luke tells us. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The unborn prophet, John the Baptist, leaps for joy at the voice of the mother of God. It's fulfilling what, what the angel had spoken to John's father, Zechariah, back earlier in the Gospel of Luke in verse 15 of chapter 1. He, he was told that, that your son will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. An expression which could mean from his very conception or it certainly means from his birth. 
The baby Jesus' arrival, greeted by the soon-to-be-born prophet, both yet to be born. And this baby Jesus came for you. He's called in the Gospel of Luke the Son of the Most High, the Son of David. He is the Holy One, the Son of God. And this Savior came to give his life for you. The Savior who is Christ the Lord. God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Every life has value. You were made by God to be known by God. You have been rescued by God. Filmmaker Brian Ivey flew to Seoul, South Korea a decade ago. He went to meet Pastor Lee John Rock and his home filled with children with disabilities. For Ivey, the experience was life-changing, not merely because he created an award-winning documentary about the pastor, but because in Pastor Lee's home, he saw and heard the gospel. He explains, I saw all these kids with deformities and disabilities. And eventually, like a heaven flash, I realized that I was one of those kids too. That I too have a crooked soul. And God is a father who loves me still. The story in Pastor Lee's home began decades before, when his own son was born with a physical disability. At first, Lee could not understand why God would allow this to happen. But looking at his son... Yunman, his name means full of God's grace. Pastor Lee saw the preciousness of life. Pastor Lee began visiting other families in the hospital, praying with them, caring for them. And some of these families asked him to care for their own children with their own disabilities. People then began leaving babies on the doorstep of his little four-room house tucked into a neighborhood in Seoul. The home became an orphanage caring for 20 children, even into their teens, and even as young adults. In 2009, Pastor Lee created a drop box at the side of his building, a box like you would see at a bank teller's drive through where you can open it up, and on the inside was a, a baby blanket, because he realized people leaving uh, baby on the doorstep of his home in the cold winters of Korea was too dangerous. So he built a box for them to be put into, heated, with warnings that would let him know the box is in use. There's a child who needs to be rescued. Pastor Lee and his church have saved the lives of more than 600 children. He and his wife adopted 10 of them. That's the maximum. That's all you're allowed to adopt. And so their church arranged for the care and adoption of the other children. Now the need is not only in Korea. It is here in our own community, in our own congregation. God looks on us with love. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, he tells us. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Jesus, the Son of God, gave his life for you. Your life matters to God. Let me pray as we come to the table of the Lord.
Father, we come today with sorrow and yet with joy. Sorrow at the brokenness we feel in our own hearts and lives, and yet joy in your love and care for us. And so, Father, we come praying that you would strengthen and encourage us. Father, we come as those who are in desperate need of your grace. And so, Lord, for those who who wrestle with the truth of your word today, I pray that you would comfort and encourage them. Lord, for those who, who need forgiveness from you, I pray that even as witnesses to this sacrament, they would see your church receive the forgiveness of sins. Reminders of your grace shown to us. The blood of Jesus, our Savior, poured out for us. His body broken. And so, Lord, we come because of your love for us. We come asking you to transform us, to encourage us. We come praying in Jesus' name. Amen.